0: Joining us for another installment of Divinal Intervention, the podcast. Now, when we left off last time, we had featured uh, several underappreciated female artists under the broad umbrella of alt country. I have to be honest and tell you that today's episode could hardly be more different. Today, we are going to dive into the misunderstood and perhaps intimidating world of 1970s Jazz Fusion. Hello? Hello? All right, for those of you who decided to stick around, uh, if you are of a certain age or a certain vintage, as I like to say, uh, you may know this kind of music as a favorite of one Wynton Marsalis. Now, if you don't get that joke, it's time to fire up the Google machine and find out what Wynton Marsalis was talking about in the early 80s about Miles Davis and the jazz fusion movement. But anyway, if you are unfamiliar with this kind of music, we definitely invite you to stick around with us today. And hopefully you'll hear something that you like, or at least something that intrigues you enough to want to look a little bit deeper uh, on your own, or to reach out to us, and uh, we'd love to help you out. As a bit of an aside, there was a, an unheralded band out of New York City called The Second Step, and they had a song called Jazz is the Teacher, Funk is the Preacher. So in many ways, the jazz fusion movement was an effort to merge the teaching and the preaching with a little bit of psychedelic rock sprinkled in. Was it ambitious? Absolutely. Was it always successful? I don't think so. But some of this stuff really is really fantastic, and and, uh, I think you're going to enjoy it today. So whether or not he was the uh, true catalyst for this musical movement, most critics and fans credit Miles Davis as its prime mover, and most point to his 1970 album, Bitches Brew, as the real flashpoint for the movement. So that album is where we are going to start as well today. Bitches Brew came off, uh, you know, Miles and his band were coming off the real spacious sounds heard on his previous album called In a Silent Way, and, and Bitches Brew retains a lot of that album's ambiance, at least with regard to, to Miles and his trumpet work. A uh, lot of space, a lot of open space to, to uh, try different things, to experiment, and, and just a lot of opportunity uh, between players. But the real difference uh, when it got to Bitches Brew was the propulsive rhythm section and the kind of acidic guitar provided by artists like John McLaughlin. So there's a lot of room to work in the compositions, but there's a real marked change in the intensity of the album overall. Rather than hear me talk about it, let's just start with a clip from the title track. So here is a snippet from Bitches Brew. So audacious as he always was, Miles, of course, makes Bitches Brew a double album, right? You know, major change in style, uh, obviously going to be controversial, but anything worth doing is worth overdoing, right, Miles? So anyway, the second disc starts off with this one, and we're going to play a little bit of this. It's called Spanish Key. come from a reasonably large family, but even if you only have a couple of kids, uh, you might, might note that in most families, despite common parentage and, and the similar DNA, kids can hardly be more different sometimes. And and such was the case with Fusion after the Bitches Brew album. As we're going to discuss a little bit more uh, as we go through this episode, the most prominent bands in this genre include players who contributed two-miles landmark recording of Bitches Brew. Uh, So they branch off into various uh, offshoot bands, but many of them sound uh, quite a bit different, or they take things in a a different direction. So we'll start it off with uh, John McLaughlin and drummer Billy Cobham, who shortly after leaving uh, Miles after Bitches Brew, formed the Mahavishnu Orchestra. And they really significantly turn up the intensity of this kind of music. So from their 1971 album, The Inner Mountain Flame, here is Mahavishnu Orchestra kicking it off with Meeting of the Spirits. As you can hear, while the music is still pretty wide open, Mahavishnu really showcases their technical chops and and precision, oftentimes playing their challenging passages in unison, um, which kind of became their signature in in subsequent albums as well. They also prominently feature Jerry Goodman on violin, which is uh, an unexpected contribution And for those of you uh, into classic rock uh, who thought Kansas broke new ground with its Left Overture album that came out a few years later, it's okay. I thought so, too, uh, until I started to get into this kind of uh, Mahavishnu and and related albums. So from the uh, mounting Flame, here's another one called Vital Transformation. So when Chick Corea and drummer Lenny White broke away from Miles, they started a band called Return to Forever. Now this one's a little bit personal for me. Uh, this, uh, The songs we're going to play off this album were discovered by me on an old eight-track tape that my oldest brother uh, got from a friend of his, and I remember... Uh, it was unmarked. And I just, I I mean, it just had the songs and the the name of the album and the artist. And I I recall not being sure whether the band was called No Mystery or whether it was called Return to Forever. And I also really had no idea what to expect when I first played it. And ultimately, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. And they remain one of my favorites from the fusion style. Um, Not nearly as intense as Mahavishnu Orchestra, but still very technical and uh, and a bit intense, uh, propulsive uh, as always. And uh, anytime you have Stanley Clark as your bass player, it's inevitable. So, off the No Mystery album, which is their second release, here is the opening track Day Ride. <laughs> One of the relatively unique features of Return to Forever was that they oftentimes added a Latin style or a Latin flair to some of their albums, uh, most notably on their first album with La Fiesta, a, a song later recorded in a, in a more standard jazz style by Maynard Ferguson and uh, in his band. But on No Mystery, the uh, Latin flavor can be heard on this one, which is called Celebration Sweet. clarinet for Bitches Brew was played by uh, woodwind multi-instrumentalist Benny Maupin. And uh, Benny ended up leaving the, uh, the Miles group and hooked up with a longtime Miles sideman by the name of Herbie Hancock for his subsequent fusion effort. Now, this band was called the Headhunters, and they kicked off their premiere album with a slab of funk fusion called Chameleon. And here that is.
1: I ow 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 I um.
0: Interestingly, this is a song that also was played by Maynard Ferguson uh, a few years later in a more traditional style. So Maynard is is mining Return to Forever and The Headhunters uh, and kind of bringing it to a a larger audience, uh, but not nearly uh, at the level or the intensity that The Headhunters or or, um, Return to Forever brought to it. So talking about The Headhunters, as you can hear, this sibling... Uh, brings a lot more funk to the party, uh, a little bit different than Mahavishnu in Return to Forever, and in fact, uh, expressly inspired by Sly Stone, Sly and the Family Stone. And so here is a track appropriately called Sly. <laughs> Headhunters right there. But I do want to uh, give you a little bit of insight that you know, Herbie Hancock in uh, his next album, Outside of the Headhunters, continues this kind of uh, jazz funk fusion. And uh, he does an album called Manchild, which continues this, this style for him. And uh, it's a fantastic album. If you see it, uh, pick it up. If you're not familiar with it, go on YouTube and check it out. So that's Herbie Hancock's Manchild album, and it kicks off with a song called Hang Up Your Hang Ups, uh, which is really a a step forward for this kind of style that he was doing with the Headhunters. Uh, So definitely check that one out. Now, Weather Report started in about 1971 after keyboardist Joe Zawinol and uh, saxophone player Wayne Shorter branched off from the sessions with Miles Davis. But Weather Report really didn't hit their stride until the mid-1970s when a bass player by the name of Jaco Pistorius joined up. And while the roots of fusion are still there, uh, by this point, Weather Report had shortened the compositions and I guess sanded down some of the more rough edges uh, to reach a wider audience, and they sure did. Um, You know, their... Uh, breakout album was called Heavy Weather uh, from 1976, and uh, it opens up with a song called Birdland. I, I kind of think of Weather Report and especially the Jocko era, era as, uh, as the youngest brother trying to make his own way, trying to do it a different way uh, than Miles Davis did. So, again, it's Joe Zawinul and Wayne Shorter uh, with Weather Report. But because Jocko is in this band, uh, I cannot in good conscience cover Weather Report without also including uh, one of what became his patented base workouts. Uh, This one, Jocko is featured very heavily at the end of the clip, so do not fast forward through this one. You're going to want to stick around. This is Havona. As you can hear, uh, there is significant diversity in the approaches taken to this kind of music by the bands that broke off uh, from a common origin story with Miles Davis on Bitches Brew. Uh, Common roots, different branches, if you will. I hope you've enjoyed this this deeper dive into the world of jazz fusion. Uh, I know it's not a kind of music that, that many people have had much experience with. And I know that even those who have oftentimes find it very difficult to penetrate. Uh, but there was a resurgence of this kind of music uh, in the early 2000s with, uh, with Miles, uh, especially with his follow-up albums, the Jack Johnson album and On the Corner, uh, which tended to be a little more funky, a little less jazz. And, uh, and so there was a resurgence of this style of music, but uh, there's something for everybody. So I hope that you enjoyed it. And until next time, this has been Divinal Intervention. Have an excellent week.